Hey, After Buzzers, before we move on to your next topic, we just want to say thanks to our sponsor, Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. Plus, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Also, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Plus, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Hey guys, this is the AfterBuzz TV After Show for True Detective Season 2, Episode 5, Other Lives. You're tuning in to the online broadcast network, AfterBuzz TV. Over 20 million weekly downloads in over 150 countries and your number one source for after show entertainment. TV, the destination for TV superfans, producing after shows for over 300 of your favorite TV shows, interviewing celebrities and showrunners, and bringing you behind-the-scenes exclusives. All thanks to E! Entertainment's Maria Menounos, producer Kevin Undergaro, and internet leader Akamai. Now, let the buzz begin! What's up, everybody? Welcome to the True Detective After Show on AfterBuzz TV. Uh, this is a very, very exciting show for us to be doing. Oh, my God. The, I'm so excited, I'm but the vibe here is not yeah. the song. Yeah. Ooh, there it is. Yeah. Once again, uh, you know, we are we are absent the white man overbite. Joe oh, Flippo. That's, that's, God, <laughs> I miss it every time. Oh, man. I tried to fill in for him last week. but uh, you know, <laughs> I just, go for you. It was okay. You know, uh, I had fun with it. But he's, been, he's been holding that skill for a very long time. It felt disingenuous, you know. <laughs> uh, so this is the AfterBuzz TV After Show for True Detective Season 2, Episode 5, Other Lives. Um, we're in the back stretch now. We're in the yep. second half of the season, a season that seems to be thus far not not very well received by the critics. It's, not particularly. I guess we're critics, so that well, we, yes. we have our opinion as well. But uh, yeah, it's it's definitely you know we're we're here. Sixty six days, right? Sixty six days in the future. Sixty six days later in the city of Vinci. Yeah, yeah. So um, first and foremost, before we get into the episode, guys, uh, please get, you know rate us on iTunes and, and comment YouTube and all that and whatnot. Uh, it definitely helps us do the show, and, and we read literally every comment and we Good respond and to. Bad. As, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good and bad. We try to respond to as many as we possibly can. Uh, we are a little shorthanded on the panel today. We are absent Joe Braz, the Joes, and Joe Flippo. The Joes are not in the house tonight. Yes, but uh, we will we will carry on in their absence and their stead today. We have each other, Ben. Yeah, this is great. We and, have each other and. As much as, you know, maybe the critics or we voiced our opinions on the disappointments with the season thus far, I'm still very much enjoying this show. So I'm excited to talk about it. Well, good. So I'm excited as well. Yeah, let's get right into it. Let's okay. let's start with the fact that this episode picks up 66 days after the Vinci Massacre. Yes. How'd you feel about the time jump? Um, I, I think it was warranted. Um, I was interested to see, like... I guess I was interested to see what the direct aftermath would be after right. such a horrific scene where everything just went so completely awry. Um, so I, I feel like I missed out a little bit on that character-wise. But they are they are fast-forwarding 66 days later, which really isn't that long in the grand scheme of things. And all of our characters, all of our main characters are profoundly affected, it seems, by what happened professionally, personally, emotionally. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I like these arcs that they're creating, and I like um, how the shock has settled into each one of the characters. How about you? 
Well, okay, the first thought that I had was I, I like that they they jumped away from the linear narrative that we had experienced thus far with the show. Mm-hmm. Um, the first four episodes, in contrast to what we you know had learned about True Detective in the first season, were were very, very linear. We didn't have any time jumps. We didn't have the unreliable narrator or anything like that. It was just very much like these characters, the, the day-to-day, the crime story. So I liked the, the sort of the mystery that went along with it when we jumped forward because you, you start to wonder what happened in that time. Um, I think it's an effective tool in storytelling in general. Uh, and I, I was pretty satisfied with a lot of the changes. Like they, she says, Bezzeridi says at one point, is it Bezzeridi's? It's never too late to start all over. I think it's her that says I think it. It's her. Yeah. It's either her or it's, um, the, uh, the, the, the Angela Barksdale's mom from The Wire who is. Oh, Catherine Davis. Yes. It's, I don't think it's her <laughs> that says it. She's a state attorney? Yeah, she's a state attorney. Right, but okay. I'm pretty sure it's, it's, uh, it Bezzeridi's that says it. It's never too late to start all over. And that's kind of what they did with this episode. And it's weird that that uh, as as fans and critics, there has been so much criticism of the season to this point mm-hmm. that you would in fact get just a reset, you know, to some to some degree halfway through the season. But uh, for the most part, I just thought that the switch up of the of, of like that linear narrative we've experienced so far was very effective, and I enjoyed it. What I did like was seeing how how the dust has settled um, in the grand scope of this world. Um, and the juxtaposition of how that dust has settled for our main characters, which is not very much so. They're trying to move on with their lives. They're trying different things. Um, I mean, they've a lot of them have been. I guess Annie's been demoted. Right. Uh, Woodrow is the most uncomfortable he's been yet yeah. in a suit tie doing insurance fraud. Right. So he likes the bike. Right. As he loves to he say. He likes the bike. Yeah. And uh, and Valcora lost his mustache. Man, the stash is gone. Yeah, so why don't we take this as a, as a good opportunity to just jump straight into his character? Yeah, okay. So I think we've established at this point that he's the most sympathetic character in True Detective Season 2. He's, he is essentially our main character. He's the one that, right? I'd say so. Um, week to week, especially last week with his sort of more sober moments, mm-hmm. he's been the character that I've, each, each time he's on screen, and I alluded to this last week, that he's the guy that I'm kind of rooting for. Um, and it's especially because he's kind of in like this mentor role. A little bit now, or he at least was last week, um, and not so much now, because they're not really all connected so much anymore. But uh, I liked him losing the mustache. You see the scar on his lip. He he has this great moment when he finds out that the guy that he killed, allegedly, allegedly. Um, was not, in fact, the man that raped his wife. And that was a really, really wonderful moment of acting from him, I thought. That was so gorgeous to see on, on camera, yeah. to see on my television screen last, screen last night. I was just, I was so affected by his performance in that moment, mm. and my heart just crumbled for him. Oh, God, that guy's good at acting. He really is. <laughs> at that acting thing. Yeah, yeah. At that thing they call acting. Yeah, he's, he's doing a really, really nice job this uh, season. Stellar, absolute stellar performance, I thought. He yeah. just kills it every time. He really does, yeah. <laughs> he can do no wrong by me. So we open up, uh, I believe the first time we see him, he's, or, or at least early on, we he, he's in his apartment, he's mm-hmm. got the bolo tie. And Always. he's yeah, and he's visited by the his it, lieutenant. Right, so his, yeah, yeah, and he's like, I'm here to let you know you can't stay here anymore. His lieutenant that is a little bit, a little crooked, right? Well, yeah. More than a little crooked. They all are in this. In uh, Vinci. Uh, yeah, in the Vinci PD. Yeah, and uh, he says in another scene shortly thereafter in the courtroom, he says he's been clean 60 days, mm-hmm. but he's only – he's referring to drugs, right? Because he is drinking still. He is drinking. Yes. So, But that's not going to show up on a drug test. No, no. That's Maybe. fine. Um, so that lieutenant was a little shifty, just sort of popping up in his apartment, asking him about Teague. Dixon. Yes. 
Dixon Teague or Teague Dixon? Teague Dixon. Teague yeah, Dixon. Yeah. And that's the that's for if anybody's he's the heavier set cop that took a took one in the head and was the sort of weird uh, Vinci cop that was like spying spying on Paul on the meth lab. Pictures. Yeah. A, yeah. A very a very weird character and now in the narrative considering we never really figured out what was going on with him and mm-hmm. he's gone now. And he's gone now, but I feel like we're going to discover a lot more about him. Maybe, I mean, yeah. That's a that's a half-ass prediction there, but um, he seems to have been poking around uh, in other places rather than just the one case. He seemed to be a little bit ahead of the game in some aspects of this case. Yes, he was somehow connected to mm-hmm. some nefarious stuff going on. So, yeah, Valcoro, he's in this new place, and he's, 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 a, he's a consultant. A consultant. He's collecting money from what... Are we to believe that that's just uh, illegal immigrants living, right? Sure. It's pretty simple. Yeah, There's a few that's of what these. I think. And uh, he's, you know, he's collecting money and trying to get enough money together to get his kid back or fight in court against his ex-wife now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think his his story was I was I was definitely like I wrote that his time jump felt the most jarring. I was the most affected by it, I guess. Okay. Uh, like I was in on it and I'm, I'm still rooting for him. I, I think they're doing a great job with his character. Um, now let's get into Bezzaridis, though. Well, first, before we do that, my heart, did your heart kind of break a little bit when you saw that he was back working as kind of like a henchman and collector for Frank and just sort of like that guy that like breaks fingers and and collects money? I was like, come on. You were so like, you were going somewhere I felt like. Yeah, he was on his way up. Yeah. Yeah, but do you get a little bit the sense from him that he he hasn't fallen as far back? Like he's, it's a function of necessity. It feels like what he's doing doesn't. I don't get the sense he doesn't feel broken to me. He just feels like he feels neutered a little bit. Neutered a little. That's a good way to put it. Like he doesn't feel like he's he's he doesn't feel like he's in as bad of a position as he was in episode one. If that makes any sense. Sure. Well, he's not playing multiple sides you know before he was working for frank he was working for the pd he was sort of uh, playing this crazy juggling balancing act which was kind of impossible yeah uh, trying to inform certain people of certain bits of information now he's just kind of just doesn't have to think about it it feels like like he doesn't have to worry about the pd he's off the force he can just like you know, do his thing, collect some money, sure, make some sure. money, and focus on getting his kid back. Do you find it sort of funny that the, this is a show that is, the tone of the show is supposed to be about kind of like, not a cult, but something, there's something like a weird, uh, not just straight up crime drama, not just like murderers and robbers being chased by detectives. It's like the first season had that with the the Yellow King stuff, and in this season we're supposed to believe that there's the guy in the bird mask and there's the weird torture stuff and there's like there's something weird going on right there's like there's there's the stuff that way up north with Mm -hmm. the commune and all that so there's something strange going dr pitler i think it's funny though that and chris ryan alluded to this on his grantland article on this episode he says i think pizzolano wanted to make a show about a bunch of people that the world has chewed up and spit out and he's more fascinated in looking at their personal problems and their personal lives than the actual crime like we get way, way, way more about these broken people who aren't really very good at their jobs or just in life, really. No. They're all just kind of bad at life. And, like, that's mostly what the show's about. It's not really about the crime so much yet. But that's what's fascinating about his writing and, and his style. I mean, you could watch Law and & Order and get the same thing every day. You'll get a crime of a week. And right, right, right. You can dissect it. You can figure out who the guy was, who did this, yada, yada, yada. But here, like... 
I don't know, like we're really doing a deep dive into these character studies and whether it's pertinent information to the crime at hand. I feel like we're so, so conditioned to be like, who murdered him? Who murdered him? Who murdered him? Uh, Because of all these television shows and procedurals that we watch all the time that we sort of forget to step back and look at the bigger picture and see what, what all the, all these different characters and nuances that led to this one thing that brought them all together. Sure. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, yeah, and I was—I certainly am not saying that I think that like Law and Order SVU is a better show or something, or that's I what I want Law from Order this. <laughs> like, that's not what I'm looking for <laughs> out of this closer. show. No, but like, I do think it's very interesting that a show, a detective show, focuses so much on these broken people, and that's the funniest part to me is that I'm beginning to realize Velcoros are—he's like our. He's our crack detective. Like he's like the sh- the sharpest tool in the shed that we have. Oh, you know, dear. we're all doomed. Yeah, yeah. It's it's well. I mean, maybe he's not. But anyway, so I, I do. My heart did break a little bit to see him back working for Frank again, or I guess working for Frank at all. I don't know if he's ever really worked for him. I think right? He's always worked. He's always worked for him. Yeah, but never in this capacity, right? Not I don't as just like, like a henchman because he's a cop. He was like a little bit. Yeah, not like this. I don't think. Yeah. yeah. Um. So let's let's talk Bezerides. Yeah. <laughs> Mezzeries. What's her? What are her lines in the in her uh, sexual her sexual <laughs> no, harassment? Say on the air. Well, I mean, anybody's watched the show. Let's just say I just like big dicks. I like big dicks. Yeah. Can't blame a girl. Yeah, she's. Uh, I mean, she's. It's pretty hilarious. She's. She's so. <laughs> <laughs> she's so glib about being there in this yeah. sexual harassment seminar, surrounded by these piggish men who just don't get it. And they just want to hear, wait, let her talk. Let, yeah, her, talk. let her talk. Like, I wouldn't mind being sexually harassed by that sweet thing in the corner. Obviously <laughs> not the line, but that's what I got yeah, from Yeah, 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 of course, of course. Um, yeah, that was, that was kind of a funny, sort of cheeky little scene I enjoyed. There's, um, you know, one of the great shows, I mean, most... In my opinion, and it seems to be in the, the general consensus, is The Wire. It's like one of the all-time greats at this point. Crime shows. It. It's great. you got to watch it. I hear. Um, they're in early on, after the first season, Lester Freeman, uh, anybody who's watched The Wire, knows that Lester Freeman gets demoted to be an evidence guy. And he ends up being an evidence for a season. Uh, it was funny to me to see Ani in the evidence locker because it was such a – I would have a hard time imagining Pizzolatto hasn't seen The Wire. I mean, everybody's seen that show. Except me. Except you. Um, <laughs> so I thought that was a funny place for her to end up. It's uh, like the lowest of the low. Yeah, it's the lowest of the like low. Like literally locked in a cage in a basement yeah. by yourself, surrounded by inanimate objects. Definitely. Could yeah. it be worse? Do we, by the way, and this is this is an overarching thought, but it's just because of her relationship to her sister and what they talk about the mom, there's a really overarching theme of parenting in this season. Yes. Right? That seems... Without a doubt. It's like the backbone of the season. Every one of the characters either is... Yeah, it's, it's going. It's like you know, Taylor Kitsch has this broken mom. He's going to be a dad, right? You, you did Ani and her sister, and it's like the memories of the mother, and then like the weird father and the, their mm-hmm. relationship. They were, you know, they were kind of abandoned by their dad on some level, from you know, from a parenting standpoint, which is maybe why they ended up the way they were. Valcoro trying to figure out if he even is a father actually, or if he's not, uh, and his dad. You know, you have the scenes with his dad, who's the broken down alcoholic, and then lastly, you know, Frank, who's going to maybe be a parent possibly. Uh, maybe he's going to adopt, and he was, you know, there's just so much. It's not really heavy-handed. It's just it's just the most prominent theme in the show. I agree completely. And, um, I mean, are you a parent? I'm not a parent. I'm not a parent. I, we need the parents. Where are the Joes? They're parents. Well, uh, well Braz is a, he's a, he's a he's his a daughter had a... grandpa for the second time today. Today. So congrats, today. Brazzy. Yay. Babies everywhere. Not in my house. <laughs> <laughs> I like my dog. Um, no, uh, so I... 
I, I don't know really where to go with it besides it is, it, I feel like it's kind of being beaten over our heads a little bit. It's just a lot, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a very obvious thing that everyone is struggling, whether they're running from their past into their future. And it seems, though, that all of the, our characters, now that I'm sort of talking it through, all of our characters had kind of effed up childhoods. Right. Every single one of them that I can tell. Um, and they are striving to be better people to provide for their future families, yeah. to be the parent that they always wanted. Definitely. Except for Annie. Annie. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. She seems to have no desire to have any children. Yeah, and she's, uh, I mean, speaking of Ani again, I, I, I like her, her, her glib nature and that she's just pissed at everybody. She's pissed at everyone. This the righteous the righteous indignation mm-hmm. that she is labeled to have in her meeting with her her uh, lieutenant or her sergeant or captain. I should know which he is. The guy that was like, you, "There's been a formal complaint filed last episode." Is it, oh yes, yes, is her uh, sergeant or something? Probably. I don't yeah. know. Her superior. Her superior. We'll call him her that. CO. There we go. Um, yeah, yeah. He, he's like, you know, you should back off the righteous indignation. It's not a good look for you. And, or he says, oh, you taking righteous indignation as a stance. Big surprise, right? So that's clearly her M.O. Um, but it's it was nice by the end of this episode that she's back out there with Taylor Kitsch. And then, you know, you started to get into the, uh, the whatever whatever has happened, you know, the bloody chair and all that. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's the true detective stuff that I want. I kind of want more of. Of course, right? I I'm, like the gore. I like. I like. Like. To, I like the bloodiness. Like, what, show me some good stuff. And <laughs> and maybe. I mean, maybe the last three. Like, we'll get now that they're going to be this new task, like this underground task force. Maybe mm-hmm. we're going to get a bit more of that. I hope so. I would be a little let down. I mean, I am a little let down by the season on the whole, but I would be extremely let down if this season ends with, like, just little smatterings of actually solving the crime, and if it just ends up being this sort of, like, mostly unsolved, but then they catch one... I mean, I don't think it's going to happen. It's just... There's so much you have to address in three episodes. I I mean, I don't feel like we're that far into this narrative yet. It's... Right? The scope is so huge that they're building for us. Enormous. Whether it's the Central Railroad line or it's these escort parties. We're in Northern California. We're in Southern California. We're we're trafficking girls and like, what's going on? Yeah, like, pit, how are we going like to Hitler. sort of focus? Yeah, I completely agree. It's um, oh my goodness, we completely forgot to even reference the scene when we were talking about Ray when he beats the crap out of Doctor Pitler. That oh. was a very relevant scene. Yes. We probably need to talk about that, actually. We'll finish Ani, and we'll touch back on that before we get into Frank. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's 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 just, it's, like, incredibly overarching. Um, and I'm wondering how they're going to be able to wrap it all up. Because now you have, you would have to tie a lot of very conveniently placed bows mm-hmm. to solve a lot of the, que- like, answer a lot of the questions while not seeming, like, overly convenient. You know what I mean? Sure. The bird mask uh, to, like... Who were these guys in the in the meth lab? Like, you know, to, how did they get Casper stuff? To like, what was Casper even into? To who, what's the bloody chair about? To like the missing girl? It, I mean, who's coming after Frank? There's just so There's much to solve. There's a lot. Um, I mean, I, I'm imagining it's going. I, I mean, I'm hoping it's going to sort of sharpen to a point. Where there's just one place to look at, you know, there, there, there's like a an epicenter of what all of this is and yeah. all this stems from. But I don't know how he's going to do it. We only have three hours left. Yeah. I had a thought about um, when Bezzarides, when, when Ani meets um, Velcoro in the bar and they're yeah. talking. So the first thing I noticed, by the way, was I don't know when the uh, teaser for this show came out, if you were like me and watched it like 40 times. Because season one was my favorite season of television ever. So I was just yeah. like... Um, but the song that is being played in that trailer 
is the song that the girl is playing in the bar in the background of that scene. Oh, it's the I same did not one. know that. I did not watch it 40 times. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's a little over. <laughs> that. And also uh, that, uh, that she, she plays, so it's an original song, I, I suppose. I mean, I guess I didn't look into that, but there is a question that I have about that girl. She's always playing in the bar. Nonstop. Always. Every time. It's always the saddest song on earth. Always. Who is she? Is she, like, does she play eight hours or ten hours maybe a day? Maybe Valcora is, like, just, like, her number one fan and always schedules his clandestine meetings whenever she's playing. Yeah. She's I always, don't know. That's one of those. I think that's one of those sort of, like, um, metaphorically poetic sort of things, right? It's supposed to set really the... There? Yeah, it's just supposed to like set the tone of the season and or something. Set the tone she does every single time we're in that bar. Just her and her guitar being really sad, really bumming us all out. Yeah, being yeah. super angsty. Yeah, so I, I had the thought though that the six main characters that we have uh, in two seasons of True Detective, mm-hmm. every single one of them is an alcoholic, except for Matthew McConaughey, who is someone who doesn't drink. Because he's had, and, and the scenes that he, I mean, you see like the first episode of season one, he's stumbling when he shows up to the house because it was like the anniversary of his dead daughter. Yeah. But every single character is an alcoholic except for him. And he is by far the most competent character out of the six main characters we've gotten for, out of True Detective so far. He's but When we fast forwarded to the future, he was something of an alcoholic. Well, sure. Yeah, yeah. But nah, that is, I, I suppose that is true. But I guess the only like... Very, con- he's just by far the most competent character, right? He's like a total badass. He fights well. He's incredibly smart. He knows, seems to know everything. Sure. No other character in the show has been anywhere near that. No one's quite as philosophical as he was. Yeah, it's true. It's deep. Flat circle. <laughs> Flat circle. I do but want, that's season one. I want to talk about Frank, but I, before we talk about Frank, I do want to talk about Pitler. Um, because I think that that scene was pretty relevant. Yes. I, I am, uh, yes, that, that, Unloaded a shit ton of information, part right. of language. But really, that was like that was a pinnacle moment in right. this entire season. I feel like, don't you? Yeah, it broke up on a lot of stuff. There was this show hasn't done a very good job this season of filling in the blanks as far as like what's going on in uh, in any kind of consistent or smooth manner. Like scene to scene, I don't feel like every scene I'm getting they're filling out a few more little dots. It, a lot of the scenes just don't feel like they really tell me anything about the crime. It's just I'm finding out more about, like, Bezzaridi's, you know, absent father. Or, like, I'm finding out more about the paternity test. Or I like, feel like I'm finding about a bunch of corruption in Vinci. That's yeah. what I find out about more than anything in this show. But most of the stuff that you would classify as a cult or weird, you don't seem to really get. So a lot of information was, was revealed in this one scene. Yes. Beating the snot out of this guy. Oh, man, did he get him good. I just like that he says his first... His first line, he hits him, or you know, it's before he hits him, and he's threatening him, mm-hmm. and he says something about it's. It's a weird way that he states it. I should have written it down, but it's something to the effect of like, your, you know, your bravado and aggression is a clear indicator of your absence, or something like. It's some oh, weird like line that. like that, right? It was kind of awesome and very therapy. Yeah, therapy is exactly. It was yeah. a total like psychological therapy line, and then Valcor just hits him and just I, breaks I, his I nose. I love that he was so pompous in that moment, yeah. Pitler, that he's like, oh, well, let me tell you a little bit about what's going on in your head. And he's like, F that. <laughs> I'm just on drugs now. I'm, I'm going to hit you. I'm just going to beat you. So, he was on drugs? Okay, so I, this is a question I wanted to ask. So in the scene where um, Catherine Davis? Yes, she's Ka- the state attorney. Yes. So she says they found they found the guy that raped your wife mm-hmm. and a few weeks ago. And he's like, what? And she's like, I, once I found that out, then I decided I could trust you because you didn't kill him. And he, and he has that, he has that great moment. Mm-hmm. Did I just imagine that he, he went up and went, 
and he snorted something. I didn't catch that. My my roommate, I had I asked him the same thing on just before I came here because I was wanted to make sure. Um, but I was pretty very clearly looked like it, and I thought it was too convenient that he had he like just happened to be coke or something after like that. Days? Right? That's what I thought. So maybe maybe I was wrong. But he did seem to be a little bit hopped up when he was beating up Pitler, and that's after he goes to talk to Vince Vaughn. Right? He finds out. No, it was. I think it went uh, state attorney with the confidential confidential investigation. Next time we see him, he's with Pitler, and we close with him banging on Frank's door the next morning. Okay, okay, okay. So I, I mix up the two in, in terms of their uh, their continuity. The timeline, yeah. Yeah. So m- maybe he doesn't snort something. I, I I took it that he was just pissed, and he has this new mission. Right. He's livid, and he's going to take it out on this weird, strange doctor who knows a lot more than he's letting on. He does. So I had a thought about the doctor as well. So you know how... Um, we're in Los Angeles, and we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. So the vast majority of the world that probably watches the show and, and to some degree watches our after show or listens uh, doesn't live in Los Angeles. No. The archetypes of these characters and a lot of the stereotypes that we witness on the show, I think it's a disservice. It does – it's – how do I put this? Many of the hosts and reviewers of True Detective live in Los Angeles. They work for companies that are based in Los Angeles, so we're familiar with the landscape. Like us. Yes. <laughs> and we're familiar with the types of stereotypes sure. here. So a character like Pitler, an older, full of plastic surgery, kind of creepy, uh, pretty wealthy type of character, mm-hmm. is a character I've met in real life. We've seen him. A bunch of times. Many at parties, times. you see him at Starbucks. There's just There's a lot of people with a lot of money and a lot of plastic surgery, and you don't really know what's going on in their life. Because they can't show you on their face. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's just that's LA for you, yes, and it is. it's not all of Los Angeles. But that's something that I'm actually familiar with. So when I see a character like that, I almost feel like it's less weird to me. I, I, you know, as a reviewer that lives here, than it would be for somebody a fan of the show who maybe uh, works a nine to five in Nebraska or something like mm-hmm. that. That's not a character they they know. It seems as weird to them as the strange Louisiana characters in season one seem to us. Seem to us. Fair right? Enough. Yes. And I had that thought when I was watching it, just sort of like this. It doesn't resonate with me as, like, weird and dirty. It just resonates as, like, that's just a guy. I know that guy. Like, whereas to somebody who doesn't live here, that seems just as weird probably. Because he is a very strange-looking guy. And his that the whole thing with the plastic surgery and, like, the young women, it's all very creepy. The look I got, the look I've seen one million times. But that level of smarminess, I don't see that all the time. No. Do you? I mean, that level? A few times, at least, the parties. What parties are you going to? <laughs> Uh, let's move on. <laughs> so, uh, well, no, before we move okay, on, okay, okay, okay. Uh, back to Pitler, your sure, bestie. You see yeah, him all the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so he unpacks a lot of information for us. Yeah, he you does. Know, in his duress, spitting out his teeth, which was really cool. By yeah, the way. he fishes the tooth out. Oh, yeah. So what does he tell us? He tells us about um, Tony Chisani, which is the son of yeah, the mayor. Right, He's blackmail. A pimp with political aspirations. Yeah. He and Ben Casper put on these elaborate escort parties that right. are supposed to be safe havens, but they're also taping these people and taking photographs of these people for future blackmail which is, purposes. Which is in Bezzaridi's thing that we, we saw her. She goes to see the woman who was at her sister. Her sister's missing, right? Is her sister or her daughter? I think it's her sister. Her Vera? sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, and she gets these pictures sent yes. to her from the last address. And that's these. It seems to be hidden camera photos from one of these parties because she sees of, that it's Casper. Of course, because you can't be in a party like this just snapping photos wherever you go. Yeah. So then you start to wonder why? Who is? Why is she taking pictures? Like who is, is she, she taking them for? Yeah. Something like that. Who took the pictures? Yeah. Exactly. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. So there was a lot of information unpacked there. There was and a lot, I felt like. Yeah. And not just that. So we also learned that, well, I, we sort of, it was alluded to with McCandless. Is that how you say his name? Uh, I believe so, yes. Uh, the guy who is the co-owner of Catalyst, right? Yes. Uh, I believe so. Wait, he was this. Wait, I wrote it down. He was the Santa Clara Railroad Railroad co-owner, McCandless, and now it's turned into Catalyst, which has been the spearhead for this whole railroad system. He, wait, is he the guy that Frank sold? And he's the, the guy that uh, asked or told Frank to find that footage, find that hard drive. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah, guy. yeah. That guy. Sure. 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 Because I know you're talking about. obviously he's been going to these parties and doing some pretty um, unsavory things, if you yes. will. So he needs his hands on this hard drive. Five parcels, Frank says. Five parcels gifted. Yes. At that. Which and are we to assume that each parcel is worth one million dollars because Frank is missing five million dollars? Well, he said he had five parcels before, didn't he? Yeah. Just so south that, of Monterey. So that must be that. He must, wants it back. Just yeah. Give me. Give it back. Give me what I lost. Right. <laughs> give it to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that was an interesting scene, and, and I guess we have to assume... Well, next episode next episode should be pretty great, actually. There, there, like, there was a lot of stuff... Like this episode ended with some with some great stuff. Like it oh, feels yeah. like it feels like yeah. So let's but let's keep talking through it so we don't we don't miss anything. There's um, so much. There's a lot to get to. Yeah, we're gonna yeah. try our best, folks. Yeah, certainly. So and and really quickly because I don't want to do it in the middle of talking about Frank. Um, I wanted to make a point really quickly about the criticism of the comparisons all over to season one, right? That's just, we've done it on here before, and it's something that's written about a lot. Mm-hmm. And we promised last week to talk about it less. But my theory is that because of the mythology of True Detective now, that is that is entirely based on the success of season one and the popularity of season one, it's very, very, very difficult to properly evaluate True Detective season two in a conversation without at some point referencing the first season. I just, in my experience now of having, I feel like, a hundred conversations, it doesn't seem like, even if I don't bring it up, somebody else does. It's just the first thing that anybody wants to talk about because the tone of the show... The way we want to feel while watching True Detective, or at least me anyway, when I'm watching it, the sort of like, the sort of like, my jaws dropped a little and I'm just like, what's gonna happen? This is so cool. I want this season to feel that way. I, like season one was effortlessly cool. And Mm -hmm. it feels like, it either feels like they're trying to make season two effortlessly cool, but there's effort involved, Mm -hmm. or it's like, as a fan, I'm just looking for something that is not gonna be there. It's just, it's just not the same show. Well, it's of course, an not. anthology. It's, it's not a different beast. So I just wanted to just share that because I, I just genuinely feel like it's it's an incredibly difficult task to evaluate this show purely on its on this one season, these characters, and ignore the first season because our evaluation of it is so heavily based on what we what we expect from the franchise. Well, we only have one common denominator, and that's Nick Pizzolatto. Right. Um. So. I, I feel I I in the beginning yes I had a difficult time separating them just um, out of expectation and um, out of hopefulness yeah but as we've moved on I feel like I I feel like this is its own beast it's its own world and I'm fine talking about it without referencing season one I feel I feel like they're completely two different worlds yeah. And I, I think that's a testament to Pizzolatto for creating very in-depth worlds, um, very fully formed and fleshed out, uh, one in Louisiana, one in Los Angeles, yeah. that that I've sort of let season one go and let it stand alone for what it is and focus solely on season two. So, yeah, that's that. that will, I will try to make that the last time we reference season one today. I just wanted to point it out because it's... It, 
obviously in our profession when we are supposed to analyze critically analyze each episode like to every point and have these conversations Mm -hmm. we probably have a lot of conversations about detective outside of here i know i do yeah talk to a lot of people about it before i come on here and want to talk about it and it just seems like it's a very it's a tough task it's a tall order but let's move on to frank simian frank Frank Semyon falling from grace a bit. So he is the by far, by far the most polarizing part of this show. Um, mm-hmm. It seems that there's a lot of negativity surrounding it. Last week I shared a theory that I felt that the other three characters existed as part of their own narrative and that Frank's didn't fit and that I felt that he occupied too much real estate in terms of screen time and that I didn't think it was Vince Vaughn's fault as much as I just don't think that the character is correctly weaved into this story, um, it's it falls flat. And I continue to feel that way. Um, I just I had a note, Vaughn is a failed character, that the relationship between he and Jordan is irrelevant to me. I don't care. I mean, it's at this point, when they're on screen together, and I want to buy in, I want to buy in, I just don't care. Like, I... Th- though... He, and, and, and there was a... They definitely, like, moved us towards... A different part of their relationship today, because because mm-hmm. Frank gets a little bit more vulnerable towards the end of the episode. I think he calls her Jordan for the first time. I, I noticed it. He might have said her name at some other point. I might have missed it. I had never heard him say the word Jordan. So hmm. um, that was like there was a couple moments in this episode where he's supposed to open up because they're in the house and there's no water stains. They're watching a movie. He comes home after they have their confrontation. So they're trying to change the stakes a little bit. But it's a little bit like too little too late for me. Like the one yeah. the one tone, like every scene that he's in feels like the same scene until this episode. The first okay. four episodes, every single scene that Frank was in, I was like, I've seen this nine times already. And then he had some different scenes. He gets approached actually in a club. I get that. I see you. Did you notice that when he got approached in the club, that's the first time that he's been approached in five episodes as opposed to him approaching someone in terms of like the crime stuff? Like he's been walking on people's turf the whole show so far. Walking into oh, rooms. Oh, when the two people came in looking for Santos and what yeah. uh, the the guy from Grantland called him the Angel of Death, yeah, which yeah, I yeah. loved. Yeah, so yeah, it was yeah. like, kind of, yes. A <laughs> little bit, yeah. You know we're going to see that guy again. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. That's a good point. I didn't notice that because he's always been rolling up on everyone. He's the one with the agenda. Yeah, he's always. He's the one with something to say. So now he's like in the club and some guy and he has to just, he muscles up. He's like, you yeah, know, I'm, I'm here now. I don't care. He's not coming back. Yeah. Right? Did he kill him? Did he just run or did he just run away with no teeth? I think he killed him. I think that's what we have to believe. He pulled his teeth out and ki- I mean, maybe he didn't, but he says, what's he, he says to Jordan, he's never, it doesn't matter. You're never going to see him again. Yeah. Whoever he is, he's never coming back or something like that. Yeah. I think you have to imagine he killed him. Imagine, maybe. Maybe right? one of his little henchmen did. Yeah. How did you feel about Frank this episode? Um, I agree with what you're saying. I wasn't here last week, unfortunately, so I, I missed that. I missed what you were saying, um, but I, I understand it now that yeah. you say it to me, um, that it sort of exists on its own. Yeah. It's like the detectives, the murder, all over here, and then Frank on this side, doing his own thing, uh, working through his own issues. The only times I really do like him is his scenes with Jordan, or look forward to seeing him on screen are his scenes with Jordan, because that's when I feel like he's... He unravels a little bit more, rather than putting on this facade of this this tough guy um, who gets stuff done and, and, you know, going legit or talking to the mayor or whatever it is. That's when he is the most vulnerable, and that's when he is most human to me, and I can relate to him more um, as a character. Um, And I also just, I love Kelly Riley and what she's doing with this character. I think she's really cool. 
I, I think her performance is solid. I like yeah. her. Do you have the feeling at all? Because I had this feeling this week where I was sort of thinking about episode to episode. I was like, they find Casper on the side of the road in the first episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taylor Kitsch finds him. And then and he's got he's all mangled and they start investigating this and everything to this point. Does it feel like Vince Vaughn's role in the story at this point is is kind of not actually relevant? Like it didn't it, the fact that he knew Casper and Casper had his money doesn't, doesn't add to anything to, to 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 the investigation so far. I guess it he gives a lot of depth to Colin Farrell's character. Yeah, I was just going to say it it changes the stakes for Velcoro. Yeah. But that's like that's it. He's like a super 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 like tertiary supporting character. As opposed to what we—he's the main character. He's the person we see the most. Yeah. Um, so no, I, I see what you're saying. Absolutely. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I agree with you, <laughs> unfortunately, and I don't want to agree with you because um, yeah. I, I dig Vince Vaughn, and I yeah, I me just, too. I don't want to agree, but I do. He just—he doesn't really matter that much. Yeah, like it's—I it's, don't need him. It's its own story. It, yeah. it, it, again, like you could not have the other three. And Vince Vaughn's story would still be the same story. It, it wouldn't like it wouldn't change the stakes almost at all. What he does is provide a touchstone to Casper and the city of Vinci. He's kind and of the he's the he's like the center of it all, right? Yes, everything touches through exactly. Yeah. Um. So I guess that's where his importance lies. Um. As well as his connection to to Velcoro. Did you feel towards the end? So the final scene when after Farrell finds out that Vince Vaughn has set him up and he and he's talking to his ex-wife and he you know Frank sent me up. Uh, she says, "I don't know what that means." And he knocks on the door. Did you just? I had this moment of like, God bless it. Colin Farrell is so much more likable in this season of television than Vince Vaughn. Like, I just like him so much more as a character. I was thinking to myself, I was like. Man, I sure hope Vince Vaughn gets what's coming to him. It was not at all like... I think he's supposed to be because he's a victim of circumstance. You know, he's been manipulated through and through. Yeah. And um, he's tragic. Right. And so, of course, you're going to root for him. Of course, you want him to succeed. Nothing goes right for him. Do you believe that Jordan at this point, um, they have all these confrontational scenes and she knows what he's into. And at one point they're talking and she says, you're a pimp now, Frank. You know, you're. I know you're running girls through the poker room, and I know what's happening. And he's and she's. You're a gangster, and mm-hmm. he's like, I'm not a gangster. And he has he has the line, "Crime exists contingent on human desire." Mm-hmm. Do you believe at this point, like a, a woman like that, that she would be like, "It's okay that you're trafficking. You're like you're like selling women." Like I don't know that I really believe she'd stick around. He's kind of a dick, and like she I, was with him before he went legit. Yeah, you know, I think Maybe. I think she was um, part of the catalyst to to um, uh, urge him to move forward and become legit and get out of town and live on a farm or whatever it is sure, and sure, just sure. live like a normal person life. Um, and I think she, I think she truly does love him. I think there is real love between the, those two characters. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they were on their way up. And now she sees him sinking lower and lower back into this dark world that they worked so hard to get out of. Right. Um, but the love is still there and the hope that they'll get out of there together is still there. Yeah, maybe so. I guess people make pe- people make like, you know, when decisions are made based on emotion, especially in long term relationships like that, you can just overlook a lot of things. I, mean, I just she's seen it before. Yeah, it's true. I suppose I suppose so. I, I mean, maybe I didn't think about that as much that she's she was with him before. I just feel like the way he's just treated her this whole season. And then and then it was such a sharp contrast. Didn't you feel the final scenes and he has those tears in the club after they have their confrontation? She references three surgeries. 
do, do we we've never yeah that's that's what i assumed yes because it was not there's never been any violence or anything like that that we've no she said before that they referenced her one abortion before right and maybe that's why she couldn't have kids and now she finally comes out in the open and says no i actually had three i had three sure 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 and yeah and he says what you didn't tell me this when i was you know when i was on top of the world you tell me yeah. when i'm down you know i'm not so good anymore I don't know. I just, I'm tired of it, unfortunately. I'm sorry, guys, if you're fans. I know we've harped on this so much on this show, and I don't want to, I don't want to be the person that's always like, I just, I hate the scenes that he's in. I, I love Vince Vaughn. I want to like him. Hopefully it'll swing around in the final few episodes, but the other thing that's really interesting the is. These just aren't as fun. No, they're <laughs> just know? not as compelling. They're just all like businessy and, yeah. and corrupt, and I'm just like, I get it. I right. get it. We have three episodes left. I, I want to talk about. We're going to talk about Woodrow here in a minute. But yeah. um, with three episodes left, we start to get into the territory where it's reasonable to expect a main character could die. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of them this season. Yeah, it's very hard to imagine in the first half, right? Like when nobody believed that Vince Vaughn or that Colin Farrell was dead when he took that shotgun blast. We all were fully like, "That's a, that's a fake." Um, who would be the one to die? I wonder. Ooh, are we placing bets? If it's got to be one to go, Maybe. I mean, predictions will be a better four. place to do this, probably. Okay, well, yeah, that, let's uh, save it. Predictions will place a bet. Yeah, okay. All right, think of the stakes. Um, I want to talk about my man Taylor Kitsch. Uh, you know, Officer Woodrow, detective, now newly appointed detective Woodrow, and his scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a couple. He had a couple big ones this this episode. He had a big confrontation with his mother, Mama. Who there's a weird relationship with. Um, it's very strange. I, I want to make a, I, we should talk about what we think is actually going on there. Okay. Um, there was a scene with him, you know, doing, doing the old vodkas in my iced tea for dinner, uh, or sweet tea or whatever he's drinking, uh, fills up with vodka and just drains it. Uh, there was that scene. And then there's the scene when they are in the, they're like, uh, what is it? Some sort of a litigation. Uh, he's got his oh with the actress, Catherine Davis and his, his CO. Mm-hmm. And then the actress who's, you know, and he's saying, I'm, I didn't do anything. I'm innocent. Those are kind of his big scenes this episode, unless I'm forgetting one. And then the end. And then the end, yeah, sure. Up in Greenville. Right, with, with Bezzaridis. Yes. So let's go one by one. Okay. Um, start with the mom scene. <laughs> I love the scene did so you? much. It's one of my favorite scenes of this whole episode. He got pretty intense. Yeah, well, they both did. Yeah. I just love... Mom getting married, mother of God. And that's her reaction, because that's what she wants as a son. Yeah. Mom getting married, mother of God. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. Um, you know, I didn't write down who that actress is, who plays his mom, but she is so fantastic. She's good. She balances this character so well of someone who is somewhat deplorable. Yeah. Um but you also get the sense that she does love her son. Right. Um, I just think the balancing act she's she's pulling off is fantastic. She's a bit cartoonish. Um, she's a bit cartoonish. I mean, not a not. Little. She's a little stereotypical. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, a couple things. Earlier on, okay. you can have your old room when he was going to stay over in an earlier episode. There's there is that weird tone of like of some sort of like incest sexual thing, right? There's a tone of it. Yeah, she she definitely was massaging his thigh and you yeah. know. Yeah. I can't quite decide what to make of it. I can't either. It's all it could just be she was a dancer, maybe she was somebody who um trying to like use her sort of like sexual energy. She's one of those people you, you make people want to have sex with you. That's a, that's a tactic for for some women, especially women dancers and and mm-hmm. prostitutes things like that. So, could just be that's her way of relating to men. And her son is like a fully formed man. He's a grown ass man, so that's how she relates to him now. Um, that there was that he goes for the money, the twenty thousand dollars from from Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Is that is Af- it? Uh, it was Afghanistan, right? That's what he says. Uh, that's what he said. Yes. 
And she says, I thought you left it for me. And he says, $20,000. And she's lush. And then they have this exchange. And she says, I I, I know about you, Polly. I know about you and your weirdness. Weirdness. Yeah. And the boys. And the boys, right. Oh, yeah. So she, and he just, he must, he just hates that. Because he hates himself. He hates himself. Oh, he hates himself. Yeah. He has so much self-loathing. It's such an interesting relationship that they have. I feel, I don't know if it's quite, if it's, if it's gotten incestuous or if she's just used him throughout his life as a comfort, yeah. as a manly sure. constant, right. something that she was obviously lacking yeah. um, forever. No one's ever stuck around. Yeah. Um, so if, whether it's just like, like, like a, not necessarily a sexual comfort, but just a manly comfort. Sure, sure, sure. Familiarity, mm-hmm. companionship, something. Cuddle up next to each other on, on the couch and just get a little too close where it's just really uncomfortable. Yeah. But I don't know if she ever crossed that line. Hard to know. It's, Hard to know. They've, they've know. made, the, yeah, they've definitely given us some, some ammunition there as far, like, just a couple lines sure. and a couple weird looks. And there's... There's utter resentment towards him too. Well, she says you, know, you, you, you ruined, ruined my, my career. career, right? I, I love when um, when mother characters use the line, "I carried you for nine months," mm-hmm. because it's like, yeah, I know I was not in existence yet. I wasn't born yet. I have you can't hold against me that you got pregnant. Like, I couldn't tell you not to. I wasn't even alive yet. You know, resentment. Yeah, I think it's it's it, a place to take it out. You know, it's the only vehicle in which you can take out this frustration. I do think, but I just think that the idea of a baby being carried for nine months being something that, like, for instance, uh, there's actually a great line in Collateral where it's the same line actually, and uh, Jamie Foxx's character is complaining to Tom Cruise, and he's saying, uh, you know, she just all she does is criticize me, and he's like, get her flowers. He's like, I'm not going to get her flowers. She's not going to care. And Cruise looks at him and he goes, she carried you in her womb for nine months, and like, it's like, well, yeah, but. That's just a given. You know what I mean? (laughs) I mean, yeah, I mean, we both, I guess we owe our mothers something because they carried us from them. We do. I do. It's just an interesting, it's like, I just find it as like an interesting stance when a character Hmm. uses that as a line because what are you supposed to say to it? Well, there's nothing to say to it. Exactly. There's no argument. That's why you say it. Right. That's why it's ammunition because you can't deny it. Right. right. You did. Sorry. Not my fault, but can't do anything about it. It was me. Yeah. So it was a big explosion from Taylor Kitsch. I love the guy. Huge fan of him. Um, I think he's a talented actor. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's quite there yet on the level. Like, Colin Farrell's, like, stealing scenes. Like, he's just blowing my mind. And Taylor Kitsch is close, but I don't quite buy it. Well, this was the first time I feel like he had an opportunity to really... Oh, last week, though, no? Because he has, like, these crying in the cab. and he's had that th- he, His uh, best okay. scene in the okay. show, okay. I thought, okay. so far, is the scene in the car with Colin Farrell. I forgot that I wasn't crying. last week. And he's like, he's like, he, he, I've always done what they've told me. I did everything they asked. There's never enough. That whole scene. I like that scene a lot. That was okay, fair enough. I, I mean, I don't... I agree. I, I, and I've agreed from the very beginning, as I, I've said it from the beginning. I yeah. don't find him to be that compelling. yeah. To watch, sure. Um, I find him to be somewhat one note. Sorry, yeah. ladies, he doesn't do it for me. <laughs> Sorry, Ben. Sorry, ladies. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't think he, his performance really s- 
stands up in stature to the others that we're getting from Colin Farrell and from Rachel McAdams. They're the two. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. freaking killing they're it. They're killing Left it. and right. McAdams is so good. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's the first scene. The second scene we're going to talk about is the scene where they are in the courtroom. It's not courtroom. It's like some sort of a conference room. Yeah, it's like a mediation sort of thing. I don't know if that's the right word. Yeah. Um, and there's not as much here. There's not as much to it. I mean, the actress is very, you know, she's a total cartoon character. Mm-hmm. Um, the, He's a detective now. I think it's you're supposed to. It was just sort of like set the stakes, right? Yeah. Um, and just to make sure that we know that that case hasn't died. Right. That that's still in play. It's a thing. That's still an issue. Yeah, yeah. So I, I didn't take a whole lot from that, um, but we can connect it immediately to the dinner that he has with his fiance, his pregnant fiance, and her mother, mm-hmm. uh, and the vodkas that he's drinking. And uh, his. It's just. Well, you know he has to medicate. He's just so uncomfortable. He's in such an uncomfortable like part of his life. Oh yeah, for everywhere from the suit and tie to being with a mother and to being who with wants a, to move in to being with a woman to being with a woman on right. the regular, no matter how hot she is, because that girl is hot. She's hot. Ugh. Yeah. Um. Yeah. He's he is not comfortable in his skin by any means. Yeah. He just wants that baby and wants that sense of normalcy. Right. Do we think so? When he says that was my, uh, just jumping back to the scene with his mm-hmm. mother because I thought about this, the twenty thousand dollars that was my stake. Yeah, I, don't I, I bled for this money. So are we? Th- are we supposed to derive from that that in fact some of the foul play he's claimed that he wasn't in right mm-hmm. in, in that mediation? He's like, I wasn't there. I wasn't in yeah. that city. I wasn't in that. You know, because he's, yeah. he's referencing some. I think something in Black Mountain. Yeah, something that happened. Um, are we supposed to suspect that that twenty thousand dollars maybe means that he was? Probably. Right? Because was, it was like a mercenary team. Yeah. I don't think it was like the military. I, I don't really know much about this. Yeah. But yes, that's what I am. I'm gathering like the yeah. best of the best, too, is for hire. Right. For the military. Exactly. Something like that. Yes. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, there, I mean, the scene at dinner was just... Why would you hide that at your mom's place when your mom is that mom yeah. who is drunk all the time, playing slots, men in and out? Like, why? Yeah, I know. And well, it's just a small little trailer. Of course she's going to know every nook and cranny of that right. little thing. Of course she's going to find it. She's, you can't hide that. She's, it wasn't like <laughs> it wasn't like in Dumb and Dumber where like the briefcase opens and it's full of... like I, like. Oh, you ones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like it's just gone. I spent every every penny of the twenty grand before you ever came back to check if there was any of it. I just spent twenty thousand. I love. I thought it was for me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, mom. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. I Great. thought it was. Yeah, I thought that you were suggesting you were going to help me out a little at this point yeah, in my finally. life. Finally. Um, yeah, anyway. That was a dumb move, if you ask me. Yeah, so the final scene here is, is with, uh, Bezzarides and Woodrow, and they, and they go out to, where, where were they? What? In Guerneville. Okay, so is that NorCal? I think so, yes. Yeah. So they go out there and they find this, and this was based on the last location that she called the, the missing girl called from. Yes, right? Vera. And, that wagon wheel chandelier, was that in the pictures too, or am I making that up? Not sure. Which is why I'm thinking that it's Northern California. Guerneville. It sounds Northern California. I should know. I went yeah. to school up there. Oh, really? I did. <laughs> Where did you go to school? Sonoma. Oh, okay. I lived in San Fran. Um, so, so yeah, they, they show up, and well, she sees, like, what is it, crow, or like ravens or vultures? Some kind carrion? of... Carrion? Carrion. Yes. Right. right. Are those, like, uh, flesh-eating I think birds? Like crow-like yeah, things. Yeah. And so, and so they, they wrap around back, and they find this, like, little shed, mm-hmm. uh, and there's the chair that has, like... You know, duct tape or something, yeah, shackles or something. There's kind of arterial blood. spray all over the place. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a so, bloody shack. So now we're getting into some weird torture stuff. We're getting into some uh, 
<laughs> Look how excited I am. It's I want to see it. It's what True Detective is all about. <laughs> yes. Um, and I was happy with that. And then, I mean, that's there's not much more to say about that, really. But then the last scene of the episode is what we should talk, we should end on before we get in predictions. Of course. Which is after Colin Farrell finds out that he's been set up mm-hmm. and he knocks on Vince Vaughn's door. Yes. That's a big one. That's a that's a big deal. Goes and go. He's walking through the living room and he's just. What's the closest location I have a hidden gun in this sock drawer? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm still moving in. But first things first. Let's oh, find yeah. a place for my gun. If I was yeah, I mean like if you were a crime boss, you'd probably have how many guns do you think hidden in your home? Oh god, a lot. You'd want to have one in almost every room, right? At least. Yeah. And some knives stuck under the table. Yeah. And extra clips. I don't know. Sure. I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm a bad gangster. I'm not a crime. Apparently. I'm not a crime boss, no. but. Uh, yeah, so so Colin Farrell knocks on the door. You know, who's that? This is after like the touching scenes between uh, Jordan and and Frank, mm-hmm. which again I don't care about. Um, but, but I do. Yeah, but she cares about him. And then <laughs> yeah, that's what we end on. So I I guess probably considering we all know the stakes, we should probably just get into predictions because there's a decent amount of them now. Yeah. And now you're after Buzz TV predictions. Predictions. We're just going. <laughs> so there's only two of us. Um, yes. Should we do like a couple each maybe? Well, I don't really have that many. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't really have any. We can like postulate. We can theorize. I have really bad, uh, bad time <laughs> predicting the show. I have no idea what's going to happen. Um, and they're really not solid at all. But I'll, I'll throw something out there. Okay. Um, Pitler talked about the Chassani family and yeah. and how they're what did he, how did he refer to them? Yeah, yeah, I remember this. Um, he he referenced them as like, like like the the wife wasn't ready for hold please that they're highly inventive. He says highly inventive. That the Chassani patriarchs are highly inventive, and she wasn't ready for something. She wasn't that, ready. She wasn't to, ready for that. She couldn't yeah. handle it. So that's why he uh, put her in a mental institution, and then she killed herself. And she killed herself, right? Much like Bezridi's mom did. Yes. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm hoping that we find out a little bit more about what this Chassani patriarchal patriarchal inventiveness I can't speak inventiveness? In, inventiveness entails. And what do you think? Um, well, I think it has something to do with that bloody chair. Okay, so that's all. Yeah, it's all related. That would make sense. Yeah. Um, as I said, we're getting into the final three. I'm predicting a character is going to die, and I think it's going to happen in episode seven. Um, okay. I think you'll get the second to last episode uh, murder, and I, I guess it's probably going to be Woodrow. Things Woodrow. You're not going to kill Colin Farrell. There's almost no chance I can imagine killing Colin Farrell. You could kill Vince. Could kill Vince Vaughn, but I don't see that coming. And I don't think Bezzarides dies. I think it's probably Woodrow dies. Is Woodrow or Vince Vaughn? It's either Woodrow or Vince Vaughn is going to die in the next two episodes. That's that's like that's my that's my bold prediction. Well, if I had to pick one of those, I think it's going to be... It's tough. I mean, I want to say Vince Vaughn, but it seems like the obvious one. Right. Because everyone's out for him anyway. Yeah. And there's a lot of people coming after him. Yeah. I don't know. I also think... um, Oh. um, This is just me real fast, though. Sure. The guy who was driving Vince Vaughn, Frank Semyon, looked... Eerily like the guy in the picture that he gave to uh, Velcoro yeah. years and years ago. And I think that's the same guy. Interesting. Okay. That's what I think. Um, guys, thank you so much for tuning in and checking out the True Detective After Show for Season 2, Episode 5. And I am Ben Bateman. You can find me on social media at Ben Bateman Media on Instagram and Twitter. 
I'm Julia Carley. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter with my name, Julia Carley. J-U-L-I-A-C-E-A-R-L-E-Y. We will be joined by a hopefully full panel next week, I believe, as well as a special guest, uh, unless I'm mistaken. So check in with us there. Feel free to rate us. All of that, iTunes, YouTube. Thank you so much for checking in, guys, and we will see you next week. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.